like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. Hello, uh, I'm Dr. Beth Murphy. Some of you may know who I am and have seen me, talk to me, listen to a show. Um, and uh, I'm, for anybody that doesn't know, I am a retired firefighter. So I worked for 12 years with the city of Bellevue um, and, uh, and then ended up leaving because of a physical injury. Um, it just happened, it was at a time when I was uh, into my, um, my doctoral program. Um, I was kind of towards the end and accepting, uh, an internship. And so, uh, my injury kind of forced me to make a choice. Uh, so obviously <laughs> my choice led me here. And, uh, and so I've been out of the fire service for, uh, let's see. Wow. Like, uh, 17 years, I think now. Um, yeah, I think so. Like math, it's kind of hard. So I think it's been 17 years. Um, which is amazing because it still feels like yesterday that I was a firefighter. So, um, so it is, and has been a real honor and privilege to be working with firefighters now. So um, I'm in private practice and working only with firefighters. And right now I am working with one particular, uh, not necessarily the department, but um, like the healthcare trust. Um, and, and that trust covers like a lot of different departments here in Washington and maybe outside of Washington. I'm not exactly sure. Um, so I'm contracted with them to be part of a clinic uh, where there's um, a doc there that provides annual firefighter medical exams uh, and those exams I believe meet the standard, the 1582 uh, fitness standard. Um, and John, I know you're listening. Is that the right standard I'm referencing? Okay, uh, good. Well, thank you. So I thought I was correct in that. So, um, and it's, inter it's interesting because um, that standard has a, a mental health piece to it also. And 
for a long time, um, departments would, uh, well, they, um, they accepted and instituted the physical side of the standard and um, didn't want to do anything with the mental health side because it was so taboo or, I mean, there's such a huge stigma there. And if you've listened before, you've heard me talk about, um, you know, efforts that I've gone through to try and normalize um, mental health and, and the struggle, because we all struggle. Um, nobody gets through life unscathed. Um, the, um, you know, we talk about PTSD. And so there's been a lot of talk about that and shifting the language so that it's a bit more approachable. And, and then you may hear me refer to it as, you know, PTSD, or I talk about other mental health disorders, um, like anxiety or depression or something like that. And, and the fact is, is that that is the language that I have to use, uh, particularly when I am having to diagnose somebody and bill insurance. So, um, so I might, I might say that, but I do understand why people don't want to think of it as a disorder. Um, you know, on, on like a side note, and you've heard me talk about this, I have ADHD, um, which is, you know, attention, hyperactivity, um, what is it? <laughs> I have to think, uh, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. Wow, I did think about that one. And and the fact is, is that I don't, I mean, sometimes it can feel like a disorder, but um, the fact is, is it's just a different wiring. Like my, my brain is wired differently. Um, so in that sense, it's not a disorder. It's, it's just a, um, a different configuration. So... Um, some people would use the analogy of it's like, you know, most people are running like a, a Windows system on a PC where I'm running an OS system on a Mac. So, um, so just different system. It doesn't make one better than the other. They just, they work a little different. So anyway, so it's, you know, e even saying disorder for that, I get a little twinge. So, um, so there is a stigma um, behind anything that is called a disorder. Um, the fact is, is that related to PTSD, for instance, that's been the big focus um, the fire service has had, um, and it and it is the one area that people feel comfortable or more comfortable talking about. And I talked about that on, the, on I think, the last show, um, just how there might be other things that are really going on. And it's not, um, it's not really PTSD. It, you know, it might be depression or anxiety. So um, there are a number of mental health-related symptoms that a person can develop when they experience the stressors that you ultimately experience on the job. And, um, and if you don't do anything with it, then it sometimes leads to a disorder. Um, so um, most firefighters don't do anything with it. 
and and that has to do with um, the the stigma. So, you know, the simplest thing that you can do is to talk. You know, so like the informal uh, debriefings that crews will do around the binary table. That's something that is very useful. But I know not all crews have that. Um, you know, not all crews feel that level of comfort in sitting around and sharing, you know, like, oh, that call was difficult. And I, I noticed I was feeling this or feeling that. And I've had firefighters who talk about how important it is to talk and, and that you have feelings and emotions. Um, I've heard them talk about it. And then almost in the next, you know, the, the next sentence, they'll talk about somebody that's new in the department. And that person talked about how hard it was for them to deal with something in particular. And then the, this firefighter's response was, well, maybe you're in the wrong profession. And I, you know, it's like, I think about that all the time and it, it kind of just takes, takes me aback a little bit. The fact is, is that we're all human beings and, and yes, you probably could, well, you could, you could go down a list of traits that um, the majority of people have that become firefighters. Um, but the fact is, is that they're still human and our body responds. Um, we are hardwired to respond to danger or anything that our brain perceives as danger with a stress reaction. And that is, you know, your basic fight flight reaction. And when you are constantly being inundated with stressors, yours and other people's, then it's like your system is constantly activated. And so the more activated your system is and the longer it's activated, the harder it is to get back to homeostasis, which is, that's where we want to be. So in, you know, before we were firefighters, um, chances are we experienced some stressor and we had a stress response. We did whatever it is we do in stressful situations. And then our system does what it's supposed to do. And it comes back down um, you know, it's like our sympathetic nervous system is responsible for that, you know, getting activated and um, ready to respond in some way. That's our fight flight or our alarm system. And then um, we do whatever we need to do. And so we use up all the um, neurochemicals that are released. And, you know, we always think about adrenaline, cortisol as the big ones. And then um, and then our parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and, and that's our, our, um, well, I call it the antidote, uh, to our, our stress. <laughs> um, but it's, it's like the, it's the calming system. So it, you know, that's when everything, you know, starts to come back down and hopefully we get back to homeostasis. Now, if we're going through life and experiencing some normal normal level of 
um, stressors, um, like, you know, most people in the community that, that as a firefighter you serve, um, if you were responding that way, then you would probably get back to homeostasis, um, you know, back to that uh, healthy baseline for you. And, um, and you probably wouldn't have to think much about it. Um, and, and it was probably, you know, it was pretty easy. Um, I know most firefighters have a pretty healthy lifestyle when they go into the department. And, um, and I do believe in some of the research does back this up that, um, firefighters are a pretty resilient group of people. Um, so it's like, what happens? <laughs> and what happens is the fire service is not one of those jobs where they really encourage you to talk about what's going on. Um, it, um, it may encourage you to talk at times where you're not ready to talk, um, which is often what happens when there's a debriefing or a defusing. Um, and, and definitely if you get a bunch of firefighters in a room and they're forced to be there to talk about what happened at an incident, then they're not likely to talk about how they feel about it. And I've heard from a number of firefighters in you know different departments that they have tried to use that time to process what they felt. And, um, and they were shut down. And a lot of times it's with a statement that is similar to like, well, maybe you're in the wrong job. So, um, so there's a lot about the fire service. It's like on one hand, they're saying, okay, we need to talk about this. And um, everybody's getting PTSD. Um, and so then you hear a lot of talk about it. And, and there are like a lot of people that have come forward and and said that they have PTSD um, to where they, so the fire service is like on one hand where they'll encourage you to talk about, but on the other hand, they don't. I mean, it's like, there's still that culture of, we don't talk about it. It's a weakness. Um, and a lot of firefighters will carry that. And some of that, you know, may come from their own, um, their own childhood, like growing up. I know that um, I was never told I couldn't talk about my feelings. I mean, feelings were allowed for me. Um, I, but I'm a woman and girls are socialized to express all sorts of different feelings, including sadness and, um, and anxiety and, um, and then anything along that continuum. Um, and men, little boys, they're socialized that anger is okay, but it's not okay to cry. It's not, not okay to be sad. It's not okay to be anxious um, or to be out of control. Um, you know, it's like I have words going through my head that I heard being said to my brothers. And because I was exposed to that, even though it wasn't directed at me, I kind of took that in. And so 
um, it's a funny thing to be a psychologist because um, I I did grow up with that mentality that any any mental health that you experience any issue you experienced was um, not okay and and it was a weakness so I fit right in when I became a firefighter um, but I also worked really hard to to talk and to express myself. Um, I think that is one thing is that women are, are encouraged to talk, to talk about their feelings. And again, men generally aren't. So it's like we have this, um, these dichotomous messages that show up in the fire service. And, and even the messages that you're getting today when we like to think that the fire service has progressed so much, um, it can still be at odds. And, and by the same people that are saying, yes, let's talk about it. Let's get help. Let's deal with this. Um, so I'm glad that at least they're talking about it. I, I wish that the message was more consistent. Um, so, and that's what I, I, I hope that like with this um, and the other people that have podcasts that talk about mental health stuff with firefighters, first responders, I, I hope that it helps to encourage people to get help to, to seek out someone to talk to. So if you don't feel that you can talk to someone within your organization, like, I mean, like starting with like your crew, um, then, then I hope that, that you will at least seek out someone to talk to, um, and because it will be invaluable. Um, and then for anybody that's listening, anybody like at a chief level, I don't know if you listen, <laughs> but, um, you know, the research says that firefighters will do better, um, when they get, support from the higher ranks. So if the chief sets the tone in the department, then the people below him will follow suit. So if, if a chief is willing to talk about a mental health issue that maybe they struggle with, or, or they can empathize in some way with someone that is struggling with a mental health issue um, and is supportive of different programs, if you will, then those firefighters will do much better. And it, it's not necessarily that they, well, they actually will have a lower instance of developing mental health symptoms that could lead to a disorder, like depression or PTSD. Um, so it is helpful to have that higher up support. Um, and then departments that don't have that, you know, they've done research on the importance of peer support. And so, um, ta and not necessarily not the formalized peer support, but um, talking more about that informal, where you are talking with your crew around the beanery table after a call, or maybe you're paired with someone um, frequently and you run on the aid car or whatever it is, 
But having appeared to talk to that research has shown that that helps people not get worse, but it doesn't necessarily prevent them from developing something, but it can, it can keep them from getting worse. So someone who is struggling with PTSD, let's say, um, they're, they're not going to get worse. So if they're talking to their partner or their crew, that is going to keep them from getting worse. Um, if they have a, a chief and chief officers that are supportive and have put forth all sorts of different programs and they're supportive of that and they use the language around it, um, then that firefighter has a good chance of getting better. Um, whether they go seek out professional help or not. Um, but I'm, you know, so we're talking about like that informal stuff, but the other part of that is like, okay, so now you want help. What do you do? <laughs> um, I can tell you that <clears throat> from the years that I have been in practice, there are a number of things that come up. I mean, first and foremost is is the stigma itself. So a firefighter has to be able to admit that they are struggling. So that is the, the first thing is acknowledging, I have a problem and I don't know how to solve it. Um, and so um, because of the uh, mentality of the fire service, um, you know, one is they have to get over that stigma of admitting that. But even even now with the discussion about PTSD and and all this stuff that has been going towards supporting that, um, it's like in order to get help, they have to be really bad. And so a lot of times they don't get help early on. And they'll struggle and struggle and struggle until their struggle becomes so visible that it threatens their job, it threatens their marriage um, or, or their partnership, um, but it, it becomes a, a threat to their their way of life, basically. And um, And that's usually when I see a firefighter is like they've gotten so bad um, because they're really hasn't been anything implemented or supported within the department that would allow them or encourage them to get help sooner. Um, <clears throat> I think the other piece that goes along with that is that I have seen a high number of firefighters with um, alcohol problems um, along with the mental health issues um, so it's like, you know, they go into an environment where alcohol is part of the culture and and there's kind of this slow, insidious process of where that alcohol consumption increases and then it starts to become the way that they cope um, with whatever they can't handle. And it may not always be the job. It might be home life. It might be just trying to juggle all that. And um, and then that can get worse and worse over time. And so as, you know, they're like self-medicating and and they're not talking, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. And and then they don't get help until something's 
going to blow up on them. So it's like they may be at risk for their job. Um, they, they may have their partner tell them that they're struggling. Um, and so, um, and, and maybe it's not just like you're struggling, but it's like, I don't like being around you and I think we need to separate, um, or, or divorce or whatever it is. Um, and maybe the message comes from your kid. Like, they're like, why are you angry all the time? Um, or, I mean, depending on the age, you know, they may just flat out say, I don't, I don't like you and I don't, I don't want to be around you. Um, it, it depends. Um, but it's like, that's, I mean, when you get to that point, you've been struggling for a while. And, and those are usually the times when you're like, I guess I do have a problem and I need to do something about it. Um, and so, um, a lot of times people are going to like treatment centers. So like rather than getting help sooner and working with a therapist or a psychologist, they end up, it's kind of like going from zero to a hundred and now they're going to a treatment program and treatment programs are appropriate sometimes, but they shouldn't be the first line of treatment. Um, but it's like, it is when people wait so long to get help. And so, again, it's important to to get help sooner. Um, so um, that kind of takes me to like, how, how do you get help? Where do you get help? And that actually has been a discussion that I've had with some of my clients. Um, and there's a few different aspects to that. One is it takes a lot to overcome the stigma and to reach out for help. The second part is, is that a lot of times, by the time somebody has gotten to that point, they are um, feeling overwhelmed in pretty much every area of their life and they're working and they may have a partner, they may have children. Um, they, you know, they may be working overtime. And so time is a big factor. So it's like, they may have overcome the stigma, but now it's like, do they have time to see someone? And um, you definitely need to make time and you need to make time to do the work that you need to do um, because change happens between sessions. Um, you can have an aha moment in session, but real change happens between. And, and it's, it's you and your brain doing the work. So if you go to therapy and you have that aha moment and it makes you so uncomfortable that you go home and you drink, then you have just disrupted that potential healing. Um, so that's kind of the other thing, which um, I'm like, people think that mental health is a sign of weakness. That's the stigma. But I'm like, if it, if it was, it's like, why is it so hard to address? Why 
are you so afraid to feel what it's about that you have to go and drink or use a substance or maybe you just stuff it in a box and put it away um you know because it's hard it's hard to face those strong emotions um and that is often why you know men often go to anger um when they're feeling sad or scared or anxious or or any emotion that might be on that continuum um anger like covers it all up and anger is one of those emotions that men have been told it's okay it's okay you could be angry you could be aggressive um but again that doesn't help with the mental health problem um so now you're at the point where you finally recognize you need help and now you have to figure out where to go and and this is a conversation that i had today with someone um and i've had a previous conversation where they've reached out to different people to get help and then they don't get a response back or they get a response but there's something that happens and then that communication is stopped and and so then they like kind of just go okay and they go back to work um so it's important to get help um i've also had i've also had firefighters say to me um i don't i know i need to talk to somebody but i don't want to i don't want to use up time that somebody else could be using you know because they're recognizing that there is a shortage in mental health professionals available to everybody really um and so so they're like doing what firefighters do and that is taking care of other people and so they're like i you know i like i'm i'm glad i talked to you but i don't know if i can keep seeing you because i i don't want to take up time that somebody else who's worse could use and um that and that's always a that's a hard one to address um so you know and i tell them well i work i'm not working with everybody else i'm working with you i work with only firefighters so you are a firefighter and you are here <laughs> so um you know so it's like so we have to have a discussion around all of this um so so it's like just getting in to see someone so um let's say that you need help um where do you turn i can tell you that the like my number one piece of advice to anybody who needs help and is looking to get help would be to ask a friend if you have a friend that you know has been working with um a mental health professional of some type and and you see that they seem to be getting some help or they say that they've been getting helped and and it that it's really helped them then ask that person who are you going to um even if they're not in your area um a lot of mental health professionals will do virtual appointments um i mean i do a lot of virtual appointments 
um, it's really nice to have that flexibility. And I have to say, it's probably the only good thing that came out of COVID is that now virtual appointments are um, readily, they're available and they're um, reimbursed by insurance the same as an in-person visit, as long as it is using a, um, there's a particular term that they use, but it needs to be um, with voice and video and real time. So, um, you know, so it's like a phone call, um, while it was acceptable during COVID when things got shut down um, and it was paid for, most insurances won't pay for it now or they pay less. Um, and there's more rules around it. So um, I think they, it's like synchronous two-way video or communication or something. So, um, so that's just something to think of. So anyway, so it's like, you can ask, ask, ask your friend. Um, and then, um, and then you can, and then make an, make an appointment, make a call and then make an appointment if they're available. And, and if you don't like that person, that's okay. Then you either, you know, stick it out with them for a few sessions to see if it gets better or, or you start over and find someone else. Um, the, the next thing I would say is, um, I mean, there's friends or like peer support, peer support. If, um, there are people there that you trust, I know I've heard a lot of people talk poorly about their peer support team. Um, you know, it's not, not everybody agrees on who should be on the team. Um, and you know, you don't trust everybody on the team, but what's really important is if there is someone on the team that, that you trust and you can talk to, then it's like, seek that person out and ask them because they often have a connection and have resources that they can give. Um, or they may like call another resource with you um, to find a provider. So if you have that access, if you have peer support and there is someone there that you, you know that you can talk to, then seek them out. Um, the, the next one might be like talking to your doctor. You know, if you have a trusted primary care physician, um, then ask them if they know of any mental health professionals and they might, um, they might not, uh, but they might be able to direct you, uh, to someone that they may not have like firsthand knowledge of, but they might've heard from one of their, um, they might've heard from one of their uh, patients about someone. So it's kind of like, you know, like word of mouth, but through um, your trusted physician. Um, so, you know, basically it's like the first choices are always ask somebody that you tr know and trust, um, whether it's a friend family member, peer support, or a professional um, that you see in a different capacity. Don't be afraid to ask. Um, after that. Can I, can I interject? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so there, you, I know you talked to a national audience and 
<clears throat> sometimes the um, even you know you and I have talked about this in the past, but um, sometimes it's difficult to find a local resource based on um, geographic location. So you know, rural and remote firefighters, volunteers may not have the assistance that we're talking about, whereas people who live in an urban or suburban area may be more. Um, there may be more counselors that are available for them. So I just looked up this. Um, uh, it's called Share the Load Program, mm -hmm. and it's sponsored by the National Volunteer Fire uh, Council. And they have a couple of numbers. Yeah. And so, um, first of all, the first um, first responder for suicide uh, crisis lifeline is the new national number 988. 988. Mm -hmm. And then the um, crisis lifeline, they call it, um, or the helpline is at 1-800-662-4357. So that's 1-800-662-4357. So the, the way I understand it is there's somebody on the other end of the line um, that can talk to you. And then uh, look up, I believe, and I know that um, I can't remember who the director of this particular program was, but you and he shared some information. So the understanding is that they'll look for local, wherever your geographic area is, like, you know, we live out here in Washington. You know, who's the closest qualified uh, counselor or MHP or psychologist that can, um, can um, help? Mm -hmm. Yep, so, I was actually getting sure. to the, all that. Well, I am sorry to, to jump in. I, I need counseling, maybe. Yeah, well, I thought, uh, yeah. yeah, it's fine. And that is true. So um, there are... What, that I need counseling or I jumped in early? Uh, yeah, you don't need counseling. I've already done as much work with you as I can. So... <laughs> I know. I'm helpless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. No, Murphy, thank you very but, much. I mean, but we'll go off and yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. And it's, it's like, I was just getting to that point where, you know, it's like I'm trying to like utilize all the resources that are like close to you from like people that you, you trust and know, um, that's always going to be your best bet. Um, and then there are other avenues. And as um, John uh, had just mentioned, is that there are other there are organizations that you can you can Google and find connections. Um, and then the um, the the suicide um, and it's not just the suicide line, but um, suicide crisis support hotline is nine eight eight, and that's a national number. And so um, that is someplace that you can call and um, it they're not fire specific but that's something i'm going to talk about um in a bit about that um but there are organizations um all over that are like that do specialize in working with firefighters and first responders and their uh helplines will be uh I want to say manned. What's another word for manned? <laughs> staffed. <laughs> it will be staffed by a firefighter or a police officer. And so um, 
one of them that is known nationally as Safe Call Now. And um, and that one, um, I, I'll give that number. That number is uh, 206-459-3020. And so that is a helpline that is staffed by first responders. And, um, and they may or may not have someone that is like in your area that is answering the call. I mean, it could get answered by somebody that's out of your area, but they do have a list of resources from every state um, and Canada. Um, I, I, I just said, and Canada, and I am not a hundred percent sure, but I believe that is true. Um, so, and, and I know that they're, they're growing um, and they're trying to expand more. Um, and their, um, their website is um, safecallnowusa.org. Um, so, but they, that's, that's a good one for resources. Um, there's one that is local to Washington State, which is where I'm at. And um, that is code four Northwest. Um, and I, and it's the same thing. It's police officers and firefighters. It was started by um, police officers. And my understanding from someone I know that volunteers there who is a retired firefighter is that they actually have more firefighters staffing the lines than they do police officers. Um, so, I mean, that's according to this firefighter that I know. So um, they are, like if you were to look them up online, they would be code4northwest.org. And their phone number is 425-243-5092. It's funny, it changed just as I was looking at the number. So 425-243-5092. And... And this one and Safe Call Now, um, they're staffed twenty four seven, and um, and they have a a list of providers. Um, and I know, I, I mean, obviously Safe Call Now because they are national. They have providers across the country. Code Four Northwest is more local, so they are going to have. Um, the local providers, Washington State, and I believe they have some identified in Oregon and Idaho, um, but they also have a lot of information regarding uh, treatment centers, and most of those treatment centers are out of the state, um, and the same for Safe Call Now. Um, so if you are one of those people that tried to handle everything on your own and you're at a point where you need more you need more than just a weekly visit um, with a mental health professional, then a treatment center might be appropriate. And, um, and both and safe call now is a place that you can call for um, treatment centers and also code for Northwest. If you're like, you know, in the Pacific Northwest area, um, there also is um, the center of excellence uh, which and I'm actually bringing it up because I hadn't I hadn't brought these up yet and I haven't looked at it. Um, of course, I googled Center of Excellence and it didn't come up. 
uh, apparently there's a lot of other things that come up first. <laughs> so the I, it's the IAFF Center of Excellence. And so this is a program that was created for firefighters specifically, obviously, IAFF. Um, and so they have, um, they have a number that you can call if um, you want to uh, talk to somebody. Um, so um, it's not just only like you call so you could go to treatment there, but you can call and, and talk um, and then they can, they can help direct you. Uh, so the number for them is 855-900-8437. Um, and they're, <clears throat> just so you know, so their um, web address is iaffrecoverycenter.com. Um, and so they have a multitude of resources on their site that you can access too. So it's, um, you know, obviously you can call. Um, it has signs of anxiety, of depression, of PTSD, suicide prevention. They have um, self-assessments that you can take. So if you're not sure where you're at or what you're feeling or, uh, you know, like, are you experiencing valid symptoms? Um, they have assessments that you can take online. Um, and then, and then the other one I think a lot of people are familiar with is the firefighter behavioral health Alliance. Um, I'm sure many of you who like, if you listen to me, I'm sure that you have listened to, um, Jeff Dill, um, so he, I don't know if he has a, if he has a consistent podcast or um, if he, if he's, you know, talks, I mean, he, I know he talks frequently to different groups and I know that he's on other people's podcasts, um, but he's, he's very active. And so his website is uh, FF. B as in boy or behavioral H A dot org. So F F B H A dot org. And, um, and he started this website, um, years and years and years ago. Um, I would make a guess at what year, uh, but I, I don't want to give you a wrong number, but, um, he collects, numbers on suicides. Um, and so his website has um, a form that is meant for people in an organization to report um, if there was a death by suicide in their department, um, whether it's somebody who's active or retired. Um, and then he will call and he vets the information he gets and then he reports that. Um, and it will, it is um, reported through his website. Um, and I think that you have to actually email and request access to it. <clears throat> so it's not just posted. Um, 
so it's like something that you have to you have to contact them to get access to it. Um, but they do a lot of um, different things, different trainings. Um, they have a self um, a self assessment also, and then um, they also have a list of providers that they maintain um, across the country. And um, and I know that that's a it's kind of a a lot of work to do that. And I was on their list. So, um, you know, so I know, I know that they have that and they update it um, every quarter there. They send an email out to update information. And I, and I believe that the other organizations do that as well. Um, so you're not going to get a list that has just been sitting there for a couple of years that may or may not be accurate. Um so and so it has a, a variety of resources as well. Um, they um, so you can contact them through the website or their number. Um, and this is not um, now that I'm saying this, I'm looking at it and they they don't have a support line from what I can see. Um, but um, they do have a contact number. So, I mean, so you can call if you, if it's like a non, non-emergent situation and you need information. Um, but the act to access for um, a mental health professional, you can go online and click on on the um, under resources for a list of medical professionals, and and it will um, it will come up. Um, so, but if you want to call to get it over the phone, then you can call them at eight four seven two zero nine eight two zero eight. And again, that one is not a hotline number, so it's going to be, I'm guessing, like during their normal business hours. So if it is not urgent, but you want information, you can, you can call. So, um, and then there's a multitude of other um, organizations. Um, I used to have a list of different organizations uh, that I would frequently put at the end of my presentations. And, um, and I, I don't, have them now. Uh, John mentioned the uh, the National Volunteer Firefighter. What is the end of that, John? Now you can jump in. <laughs> it's the uh, oh, uh, the National Volunteer Firefighter Council. 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 I always forget the last word. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, exactly. Yeah. So um, yes. Uh, so they and it, they so they have they have um, resources on their site too that you can access. Um, yeah. So and and it's like you don't have to you don't have to be a volunteer. You could be a career and you could and you could use their resources. Um, but it's like there there are a number of of places that you can call. So it's like if. If you really don't, if you don't know, if you don't remember all the ones that I just told you, then 
you could just Google help for firefighters. Um, and, and then there's all sorts of stuff that comes up. So some of it is relevant to mental health. Maybe I should say mental health help. Mental health help. So I'm just doing it right now because the first thing that came up was about help with developing programs. So, um, which could be what you want. Um, so uh, there are, um, so the first thing that comes up is like DC uh, FEMS is the first hit, and then Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. So Sam. Sam says, um, but then it, it goes into like the U.S. Fire Administration, uh, the National Volunteer Fire Council and Share the Load Program, which John mentioned. Everyone goes home um, and that takes you to the um, to the uh, psychological support. Um, and then and then the IAFF behavioral health program. So the Center of Excellence, there's Fire Rescue One, um, FireNet Health Safety and Safety, um, the Center of Excellence again. I mean, so it's like this first page is full of um, links that you could hit on and you can, um, you know, take that information to start your journey and trying to find someone. Um, but as I, you know, stated before, that the helplines, you know, Safe Call Now is one that I, I know of in Code 4 Northwest for the Pacific Northwest. It's like those two are probably the most widely used um, first responder specific helplines that I am aware of. And then um, after that would be the, um, like the center of excellence. I know a lot of people will call them for help. Um, and then, and then the suicide crisis hotline, the 988. And so that one is general. You're not getting someone that is, um, necessarily knowledgeable of, of the, fire service culture. So they would not be considered like culturally competent, but what they are good at is helping people in crisis. And, and so that is probably the next point that I would say that in looking for help is it's, it's nice to find someone that understands the fire service culture and um, and I know I've heard that a lot. I've gotten a lot of calls and I've talked to people from across the country and even out of the country, actually, um, that they they just they want to find someone who understands the fire service. So I am retired out of the fire service. There are not a lot of um, psychologists that came from the fire service. Um, there is a growing number of um, mental, health prof mental health professionals like at the MA level that came out of the fire service. Um, and, and that's a good thing. And, um, and so, you know, it's good when you can reach out and you can find someone, you don't have to explain your job or 
or explain why you can't take certain appointments um, because, you know, your schedule rotates. Uh, and and people want to get help but stay at work. Um, so, you know, people that understand that you have this 24-hour shift and that you might have overtime come up um, or you might be held over and so you might miss a morning appointment. I mean, it's it's like those are all things that people don't have to explain to me. And, and I know that, that is, that's helpful. It's one less stressor that they have to deal with. Um, but, you know, going back to something I had said earlier is that um, mental health professionals are, um, well, there's a, there's a shortage, which is like mind blowing to me when I look at the numbers of mental health professionals, excuse me, that are out there. Um, it everybody is struggling. Um, you know, it's like it really um, became visible with COVID and with everything shutting down. I mean, that that created this shared trauma for everybody. Um, and, um, and it took a toll on everyone. And so mental health professionals started getting really, really busy. And I know a number of people that have a waiting list. Um, and most of the time they'll have a waiting list for six months out and then they won't, they won't put anybody else on it. Um, some places that are like more specialized, like that deal with children, like, um, the uh, behavioral health clinic at Children's Hospital, for instance, I believe they have a waiting list that is a year out um, and they're not putting people on it right now, not until they get it down. Um, and and that is, that's hard for every everybody, but this is like firefighters want to take care of you. So this is why I often hear, well, I don't want to take space away from somebody else that might be in need. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of that mentality. And, and that always brings me back to that saying, like, you have to put your oxygen mask on first. It's like, how can you help other people? How do you help your family? How do you help the community that you're serving? if you're not as healthy as you can be. And so if you need help, then you are not operating at a level that will be, well, I'll say will be sustainable. Um, eventually it will catch up with you. So it's like you have to take care of yourself and you are no less well, you're not immune to suffering. You're not immune to pain and suffering. Um, you are a firefighter, but you are human and your system reacts like everybody else's system. It's like, it's, it's nature <laughs> and our system hasn't changed since like, I mean, not appreciably anyway, since we were, you know, hunter gatherers. So we are hardwired. We have a certain innate survival mechanism that works very well. And it responds to stress as it should. And so those uncomfortable feelings that you may experience is part of that. 
and it's normal. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It means that your system works <laughs> and you want it to. Um, it's just that there are a lot of stressors today that, you know, our ancestors didn't have to worry about. Um, and so sometimes we can have a big reaction um, as if it's life-threatening to something that really isn't. And that's why it really matters what we do when we are exposed to different stress stressors and we have that stress reaction, then we need to do something with it. And um, what we do with it um, is really what matters and is probably more predictive of like how we will fare in the fire service. Um, you know, I've talked before about, um, you know, like risk and resiliency factors. Um, I, I look at mental health through a lens of like biopsychosocial and spiritual sometimes if that is something that's really important to a person but it's the biological, like what's genetic and how you take care of yourself physically, how you eat, how you work out, medications you might take. I mean, anything that is biological. Um, and then um, psycho is psychological. And that is like how you cope with things, how you appraise things. Um, it's about, you know, how, how you think about things how you um, how you might um, you know like what are your defense mechanisms um, some of them we know what it is um, some of them we don't some of them just happen like avoidance avoidance can be something that occurs unconsciously that we may not notice until we start missing out on things or we might make a conscious decision to avoid um, but there are things that will come up and will defend against it. And we may not know at the time that that's what we're doing, but there are some like the choice to put things in a box and shove it away. Um, that's a very common, um, like avoidance strategy. Um, and, uh, and it can be a, let's see, I'm like thinking of like the appropriate words. Um, so repression is one, but repression is unconscious. Like that happens. You don't actively do it. So su suppression. Repression is an unconscious defense mechanism. Suppression is when you're consciously pushing it aside, which is a definite avoidance strategy. So there are things that we do. So that thinking. Um, so it's not just, um, and then psychological is that like how you feel things, like your emotions, how you talk about emotions, how you face emotions, um, anything psychological, your, your therapy that you may have participated in. Um, and then um, social is, you know, that's like work. It's your friends, it's your family, it's, it's school, it's everything involving other people and the community you have. And, um, and then spiritual is just around your, your beliefs of, you know, a higher power or how you're connected or um, anything like that. So these are, um, these are 
important things. And so there are risk and resilience factors within each one. And so you can have um, risk factors in one area, but have some strong resilience factors as well. So, um, and I went off, that's important stuff, but I'm like, I went off on a tangent um, because I was talking about getting help. Um, but that's, it's important to know that stuff. And so, and it's important that the people that you seek out for help, you know, that they, they have some basis that they operate from, and that might be one of them. So, um, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they, if they don't have the experience with first responders, um, you know, it's like, do they have experience in what you're struggling with? So if you're dealing with a you know a lot of trauma um where you know you're having nightmares um or like really big avoidance responses um you know anything anything that is um a big part of like PTSD for instance then it's like then you need if you can't find somebody that specializes in trauma and is culturally competent, then find someone who deals with trauma and PTSD. Um, if you go to somebody who doesn't deal with that, then you may not get the help that you need. Um, so you want somebody that says that they specialize in it. Um, and there are a lot of ways that somebody specializes. So some of it is that they have a lot of continuing, continuing education that gives them that specialization. Um, sometimes it's that that has been their experience and pretty much their only experience in um, treating uh, patients or clients. Um, so, uh, you know, it's like not all therapists and psychologists are alike. Um, so um, also the modality that they work in. Um, there are a number of treatments that are considered gold standard treatments for dealing with uh, mental health issues uh, with firefighters and police officers where it tends to be like um, trauma experienced um, or based in that trauma experience or, or like trying to balance all that. Um, so it's like the calls may not bother you per se, but, um, it's like, there's just too much, you know, too many of these calls. Um, and, and you're caring too much of like other people's pain and suffering and, and then you're juggling that along with like what you might have going on in your personal life. Um, so it's like, there's a lot of stuff that feeds in there. So, um, you know, having someone that you can connect with that understands maybe not the culture, but understands the issue that you're struggling with. If you're struggling with relationship issues, relationship issues are really common with, firefighters. So, um, and it often is rooted in the, um, you know, the, the job itself and the demands of being on the job and, um, and then how you might be dealing with 
the demands of the job. Um, so it's like, again, it's like having somebody who specializes in working with couples and then maybe also who specializes in trauma. Um, and then, and then it would be kind of the cherry on top if they were also culturally competent. Um, but there's just not enough people out there like that. And so it means that you need to find someone who is expert in the problems that you have and, you know, that can give you the help that you need. Um, so, and I know I, I went, went through kind of the, the top ways that I would um, recommend getting help connecting to somebody. Um, and then it, the next would be um, like looking at your insurance website or calling them and finding someone that is like in network for your insurance. Um, so your insurance uh, provider will have a list of providers that are paneled with the insurance company. Um, and so, you know, those are the ones that if you see them, then whatever your insurance benefit is that says, okay, well, if you see somebody in network, that means they're paneled with your insurance company, then you would only be responsible for your copay generally. <clears throat> Most for uh, many fire firefighters, their insurance is usually laid out that way where um, they might have a deductible stated, but if you are getting certain types, uh, if you're, if you're getting certain types of services, um, the deductible doesn't apply um, and only the copay does. Um, so if your insurance benefit talks about a deductible, um, coinsurance, copay, um, what that means is you know, you have a deductible, there's a certain amount of money that you have to meet in order for insurance to cover at a certain percentage. Um, and, and that is for certain services, and it doesn't always apply to every service. Um, if your insurance plan talks about um, copay, um, then that is a straight dollar amount and um and if it's saying you have a copay of this amount chances are that a lot of your services um do not require that you meet your deductible in order to have them pay out and you're only responsible for whatever that copay is I mean, it might be ten dollars it might be 35 dollars, or it could be 50 dollars, but it depends on what you picked um, when they refer to coinsurance, coinsurance generally means that um, your deductible needs to be satisfied before they start paying whatever percentage they pay. Um, and, and so those are just things to cue into to look at your benefits. And I know some of you know your benefits way better than I do. <laughs> 
Um, but I also know that sometimes people don't, you know, like they take their, their medical insurance for granted. It's like, I've got it. So, you know, you know, I don't, I don't understand it, but I got it. <laughs> I'm covered, but it's important to know how you're covered and to ask the questions. Um, and so that might be something if you, if you're looking up on the website for providers through your insurance um, provider's website, or you're calling them, then um, you're going to want to find people that are in your area that are also part of the network for your particular insurance. Um, and so you can get a number of names. Um, or if you're looking up online on their website, then you will have um, a long list of providers. And then I tell people, like, if that's the route you're going, then Google them. <laughs> um, and for me, generally, if they don't have a website and I can't see them and I can't read more about them, um, then I usually, like, I would put them aside. Um, I like when people have websites and you can see them and you can read a little bit about them and you can see more about like how they practice and um, what modalities they use and what problems they address. So, um, so if you go the route of talking to your insurance company or um, contacting your insurance company, whether it's by phone or um, through their website, um, you know, look at the list of providers that they have and then um, Google them um, and then and then call or or do their online schedule, whatever they offer. Um, and then if you're not sure how your insurance works, then you can look up how your insurance works um, or you can ask questions about it. So um, that's kind of like. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the last route towards finding somebody, or you just Google, um, you know, therapists or mental health professionals for firefighters in my area or near me or something. And then you'll get a, a list of people and um, they almost always will list what insurance companies they work with. Um, if that is something that you want. And the other thing about that is, is that, they may take your insurance, but you could choose not to use your insurance. And I know some people don't um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think if you have if you have the benefit, then use that benefit. Um, but I know that there are um, certain things that um, essentially end up in like a clearinghouse. Um, where like if you're getting life insurance, for instance, um, life insurance would have access to some of this information. Um, if you have your um, airplane, airplane, like pilot's license, pilot's license, you have a pilot's license. If you fly commercial, then there are certain um, <clears throat> rules around um, mental health that um, having a certain diagnoses can affect your ability to renew that license. Um, but I also know that um, there are 
um, there are opportunities to offer evidence. So it's like having PTSD is not um, a, is not a, an automatic denial of having your uh, pilot's license approved. It just means that your um, mental health, whoever you're seeing, whatever mental health professional you're seeing would need to write a letter on your behalf. And if you are um, getting help and your symptoms are well managed, then um, there's no reason not to renew that particular license. But um, but it is something that uh, can be used against you and require a few extra steps. Um, and then you know, going back to like life insurance, like they can use that information um, of a mental health diagnosis as a way to increase your premium. Um, so you might pay more. And so I know that there are people that are like, I'm paying out of pocket because I don't want any of this stuff in the clearinghouse. Um, but if you fill a prescription that is commonly used for a certain condition, then that's, you know, that's, that's something as well, which is not an argument against prescriptions. Like you need to do what you need to do. So you're healthy. Um, and most of the time, if there is a consequence, because one of these groups that has access to that information, when they're making decisions, um, there almost always is a means of appeal that just requires a letter of explanation um, from you and you know whoever your treating provider is. So, um, so use your benefit. <laughs> um, I I understand people who don't want to, but it's like use your use your benefit. Um, so I think. I think that pretty much covered um, all the ways I can think of where you might find a provider. So, um, oh, the other thing is don't give up. Um, this was the other thing that I've heard a lot of is people have said, well, I've reached out. I didn't get a response, so I gave up. And Or they'll be like, I should have gotten help sooner. I reached out. Nobody got back to me. So I just kept, you know, they just kind of kept going. Um, so um, I know that a lot of people aren't responding right away. And I, when I started into this practice, I honestly, I didn't understand why people didn't call back as a professional. Um, but I get it now. And um, I might be one of those people that doesn't get back you right away. Um, I, um, I'm much better now, um, because of the particular role I have right now, but I, I know that it's, it's been, you know, like a week, two weeks before I've called back to connect with people. Um, and I know that that is really hard for someone who finally decided they were going to get help. And then you don't get a call back for two weeks. Um, it's, it really is. I mean, I, I feel bad that I have done that. Um, I understand why other providers might do that. Um, I don't think it's acceptable not to call back at all. Um, 
but I know that that is frequently what happens. So if you call people, regardless of where you got their name, um, don't, don't give up. Um, I know it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to like face that you need to talk to someone to help sort some things out. Um, and and it's like once that effort gets thwarted it, it's really hard to keep going but i will say like keep going it that is important it's important to you and the people around you and the job that you do um so don't give up uh if if people don't call you back then you know call them again um email them you know, so if you get somebody's name and number, then find their email and email them and call them. And they might be more responsive via email than they are with a telephone unless they happen to have an answering ser service. But even that doesn't guarantee a quick response back. Um, it makes it a higher likelihood that you'll get a quick response back, but it's not a guarantee um, because people are like inundated with um, requests for help. Um, but you're no less deserving of that help. You're not immune, like I said, to pain and suffering. So, um, you know, it doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. So um, you deserve, like anybody else, to get that help um, so that you can do your job. So, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. Um, use one of these methods to get a hold of somebody and, um, and, and go talk if you need to. Um, and, uh, and if you don't connect with that person, like give them a, give them a couple visits, you know, two or three. And if you don't connect, then it's okay. Then, then find somebody else or, even the first visit, if it just like is, it just is, it feels so wrong, then, then find someone else. Um, you don't, you don't have to stay and struggle through therapy with somebody that you don't really feel a connection with because that having that connection in and of itself is extremely therapeutic. So if you don't have that, you're missing one very important aspect of the therapy process. So, um, you know, once you find someone, if you don't connect well with them, then find someone else. And if you don't get a call back from someone, try them again, you know, so put a call out for a couple people and, um, and then, you know, try, try again call, email, whatever it takes. Um, and don't, don't take that as, I guess I don't need help, or I guess I'm not important enough, or I guess whatever. It's like they, they're busy. Um, and it, you know, it just is kind of, I guess it's good. It's like you say, like when you're a firefighter, it's like people are always doing stupid things. <laughs> There's always something happening. So there's, there's job security there. And I guess it's like there is like job security in the mental health field too um, for different things. But, um, you know, it's, it's a, a 
double-edged sword, you know, good for people in the field, but not so good for the people that find themselves in need of that help. So, um, and then um, I think probably the last thing I will mention is um, get help sooner than later. Um, you don't have to be really bad off to, to get help. Um, like you don't have to meet the criteria for PTSD or depression or anxiety. You could just be struggling to adjust to something and, um, and get help at that time. Or you could just see someone to get some tools so that you can um, be proactive. Uh, so you can, um, you know, be your own best advocate. Um, so you don't have to be bad to see a mental health professional and, um, and think of them as more like a guide. Um, I know for me personally, and a lot of people I know who practice, um, we have that. And I know I explained like that biopsychosocial social view, and I'm not going that route again. Um, that's helps me kind of formulate like the whole person. Um, but I also, look at my clients, the people that come in to see me as, um, as equal. Um, so like I refer to people who see me as clients, not patients, and we work together and I view us as both being experts, they're expert on them. So you're expert on you and I'm expert in psychology. And so we work collaboratively, um, and so, um, you know, that's kind of a good thing to know um, when you are seeking someone out is like, how are they going to work with you? So I think the relationship is really important. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think you have a multitude of information that you can use. Um, you have a way of thinking about uh, therapy and who you could possibly work with. And, um, and you can do it sooner than later. So um, I hope you find all this information helpful tonight. Well, I guess it's tonight for me, it may not be for you when you listen to it. Um, but thank you very much for your time in um, listening. And I hope you find the information valuable. And um, thank you very much.